Hello strangers and welcome to episode 46 of Strangers in a Cinema, a podcast about films with myself Paul Anderson, I'm not going to do it again this week, uh, and Pete Wall. How are you Pete? Uh, very well man, very well. I'm excited today about the fact that I'm going on holiday for the first time in six months, which actually isn't that long to be fair. Well done, I think it, we were discussing this the other day, I think it might have been six years since I went on holiday. Right. So, um, and I yeah, can actually you remember... Be, you deserve, it feels like you deserve this. Well, I can remember, I think it was sort of after our hiatus on the show that we came back to recording, and soon after that was when I went to Tenerife, came back from Tenerife, and then we did a show. Uh, I'm going back to Tenerife. Yes. It was good the first time. Uh, I'm going to go back again. And, um, yeah, really looking forward to that. And that's just, what, like a day, day and a half away. So um, extra zeal on this show is probably... Uh, attributable to the fact that I'm going on holiday soon. Yes, yes. And that also means there won't be an episode next week. So when you True. tune in to look for an episode next week, it won't be there because people will be in Tenerife. <laughs> when you move that um, dial along, yes. <laughs> along that row <laughs> yeah. of numbers, you're not yes. going to find us there, guys. Yeah, but we'll be back in two weeks' time and it also gives us a bit of breathing space to sort of bring some new stuff maybe to the show when we do reconvene and, and come back to record episode 47. Um, and also it gives us two weeks' worth of stuff to talk about, which I think is always a good thing in the world of film. So yes. yeah, look forward to that. Yes. Um, so without further ado then, we're, there's this, there's, well, Pete's obviously mentioned he's going on holidays, so we've got that out of the way. Um, the structure of the show, uh, regular listeners will be aware, is that basically we take you on a trip through the cinema. We Open, do indeed. Opening with um, a, a chat about sort of current events in film with the in the foyer section. Yeah, you know that um, bit where you like stood around with your mates in the foyer waiting for the film because, uh, you know, you've gone with Paul and he's decided <laughs> to take you to the cinema 30 minutes before the scheduled screening time. You've now missed the of two films, Pete, I think. So. <laughs> yeah, this, this is true. <laughs> yeah. This is true. But yeah, in the foyer that kind of chit chat that you have before you go into a movie or maybe after you've left a movie quite possibly if you mess up the chronology of our <laughs> trip through the cinema yes. uh, yeah from there where do we go next we go to the popcorn counter after that so uh, regular listeners will be aware that's where we just talk about films uh, that we've seen in the week whether it be new whether they be old whether they be black or white films in fact yeah. there's no such thing as that. anyway yeah so, so both um, your mum and my mum will be aware of the running order yes and then uh, we get from there into the coming attraction section so you sit sit down in your seat Settle in for whatever film you've gone to see, and you see some previews of the films that are coming out soon. We'll talk about a couple of films we're excited about that are coming out in the next couple of months. We'll then get to a feature. This week, we've got the um, giant blockbuster helmed by one Tom Cruise, The Mummy, uh, which is going to be the sort of opening out of a new dark universe, we're mm. told, of monsters and ghoulies and yes. stuff like that. So we'll get into that in due course. And finally, we get to the homework section where we assign each other films to watch in the week ahead, although I'm not taking any of these films to Tenerife. So it's a no. good job <laughs> that we've got two weeks before the other show. Yes, indeed. So, so without further ado, then, that brings us to In the Foyer. Um, and I'm quite excited about this, Pete, because I get to put you to the test here, I think. Okay. Um, now, Empire Magazine have released their 100 Greatest Movie Poll, as decided by their um, very well-versed in movies readers. Um, so their readers let's, let's not be cynical voted. from the outset. No, let's not be cynical from the outset. So their, their readers have voted, and their readers have decided. Um, there is a list of 100 films. I haven't read the whole list, I will be honest. I did, uh, I did glance over the top 10. Okay. Now, Pete... I'm going to challenge you to see how many of the films in the Empire Readers top 10 list you can guess. Okay, so we're going... I don't think it's horrible to say this is going to be relatively mainstream. So I'm going to say uh, my first guess is uh, The Godfather. Whereabouts is that? That's going to come in at about three. Okay, it is in there. But Higher it, or lower? Higher. One. 
Yes. Okay. We've got the Godfather out of the way. We're also going to have the Shawshank Redemption, always over uh, there, yes. rated yeah. by by the populace, in my opinion. Uh, that's going to come in round about four. Oh, spot on. Bang. I'm good at this. <laughs> I genuinely, I promise everyone listening, I have not No, he has it. not seen this at uh, all. Godfather so. Part 2, you're going to get that kind of... Um, I'm sorry, that's not on the top ten. It's not in there. No. I was going to say, you're going to get that like, semi-literate person no. who's going to say that it's better than the first film, which is possibly which up to debate. probably true. But... Um, okay, so what else have we got on there? We're going to have a, perhaps a, a Star Wars film? There's definitely one or two Star the Wars Empire films. The Empire Strikes we'll... Back is yeah, going to so be top ten. Is that? That's going to be about three. Two. Ooh, close. Okay. Um, then um, on top we're gonna have something like this. This okay. This is a bit more of a long shot. I'm gonna say something like uh, the Usual Suspects. No, okay. unfortunately not. That, that felt like, like a kind of crowd time. pleaser that, that might have crept in there. Uh, it could have that one where it's like people say they've seen it but they haven't. Have we got Citizen Kane? No, there's the none of 10? those in the top ten of this poll. No, okay. everyone would have seen. I would wager everyone. In, with a passing interest in film, is going to have seen all of these films so we probably three or four as times. As contemporary as things like The Dark Knight, uh, number three. Really? Why not? Okay. Okay. Um, shall I? Shall I reel down the list? Yeah, give shall me we, the ones that I missed. We, shall we put the you and the listeners out of their misery? Um, going from ten to one, and number ten we have Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring, and number nine Star Wars: A New Hope, number eight Jaws, number seven Raiders of the Lost Ark, number six Goodfellas, number five Pulp Fiction. Number four, Shawshank Redemption. Number three, Dark Knight. Number two, Empire Strikes Back. And number one, The Godfather. So, here's my oh, question. Come on, guys, Empire readers. A bit more creativity. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, though, man, when you pull that many people... I mean, they've got a huge readership. When you pull that many people, you're going to get, you know, this kind of... Um, median result whereby the most popular things the things most people have seen are going to end I up so, yeah. rising yeah. to the top right but what my question back at you is is of that 10 that you just reeled off would any make your personal top 10 and if so what which that is a good question um, Empire Strikes Back would probably make my personal top 10 mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's for me it's my favourite of the Star Wars films um, and the term empirical fact uh, is actually termed, is actually based on the fact that Empire Strikes Back is the uh, is a fact that it's the best Star Wars film. So that said may a, or may not be true. Yeah, so said a back slapping circle of nerds yeah. somewhere. Uh, yeah, that world. may or may not be true. Um, no, I suppose some of them would be Pulp Fiction. No, Goodfellas probably not. Raiders maybe. I don't know. I just I Jaws. just think it. I put Jaws in my top ten. Of Jaws those. is good. I mean, don't get me wrong. None of those are bad films. But do you see what I mean about it? it just seems to be a yeah, lack of. It's not. It's not wholly surprising though. The, the other question I was going to ask is: Are there any? Because you, you're saying, you know, coming into this, it's clear that we don't necessarily co-sign on this list of ten films as the, the greatest films of all time. But are there any there that you would say are so sort of egregiously out of place that they wouldn't even make like your top fifty? Let's say. Pulp Fiction. Okay. Um, I just I, I've never really rated Tarantino that highly. I think of of his films, Pulp Fiction is probably my well, it certainly is my favourite. Jackie it's, Brown's my but favorite, certainly for it to sit in the top ten, I think is um, and he's a director by his own admission who takes a lot from other people's work, and I just think that the mainstream movie press, um, it, it certainly more so than anyone else, seem to make Tarantino out to be the second coming of filmmakers, mm. and for me personally, he's he's just not. So probably Pulp Fiction wouldn't sit in there. It was such a, but it was, none of those are bad films don't get me wrong a, but. a lot of it is those films that were kind of zeitgeisty at the time yes. right? like in the in the sort of early to mid 90s um, Pulp Fiction was like 94 yeah. perhaps yeah uh, around that time on the on the back on the coattails of uh, Reservoir Dogs like such a, a 
if you were a certain age at that time, yeah. then you had that poster on your Endlessly wall. Quotable, and yeah. yeah, that became yeah. quotable. It became your favourite thing. If Dark Knight is much the same, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd, I'd love, I'd love Dark Knight as well. I, I, mean, I believe that that might be the sort of really, but the sort of common strain that that goes through that list. Yeah, and Jaws and Lord of the Rings. I suppose actually, yeah, they are all they are all zeitgeist films, and that's not to criticise them. As I said, I don't. I would say I would hasten to add. I don't think. There's any bad films particularly on that list? I, I do think, you know, to answer my own question from before, I do think the one that that I maybe mentioned is just, in my opinion, wildly overestimated is the Shawshank Redemption, which I think is a perfectly serviceable drama. But why anyone conceives of that uh, of that as one of the sort of greatest films of all time is is something I've always found quite baffling. But I think it's just one. It it did really badly at the box office and then got this sort of life yeah, of its own on, on home mouth, video, yeah. right? Which, you know, yeah, so, yeah. Again, it's it's not a bad film. But yeah, listeners, let us know what you think. Maybe you know, are we being harsh? I don't think we're not. I'm not trying to say it to criticize the Empire list or anything like that. I just for me, it just lacks creativity and yeah, just I, I mean, thought it was a bit almost. It's almost like if you. If you, if someone said, well, like I've just said to you, if someone said, what do you think the Empire 100 best films are going to be? Every time it's going to be those. Well, I got what three of the top yeah. four. Um, yeah, I think the thing is, man, like with lists that we've talked about before, surely in the age of the internet, the purpose of a list is to generate clicks and conversation. And I suppose the only thing that I'd really try and undercut this list with is the fact that it doesn't necessarily create that much conversation because it, to me, seems so clearly a sort of popularist list of things mm. that people have seen, where at least you get other lists that will throw you off enough to really generate some big Well, I'll give response, Empire you know? credit. In, in the issue, which I don't think is out yet, they have um, asked filmmakers to name their list as well. So I probably I don't normally buy Empire um, for reasons which we will certainly touch on in our review of The Mummy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I may pick it up for the... I'll be intrigued to yeah. see filmmakers... Or just look at the list on the internet and yeah. don't bother buying the magazine, well, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. um, I've got something else in the foyer for this week. and it's, um, I, This is great, because I looked over your shoulder, so I'm it's, it's excited sort of, this. sort of light relief, but it turns out, against all the odds, that the director, Sam Taylor-Johnson, who's done some good work in her career, um, has come out and said that she wishes she hadn't made... Fifty Shades of Grey, the original. Obviously, she wasn't on board for the sequel, Fifty Shades Darker, which I reviewed on the show. Um, and she actually outright rejects her involvement in the first film. And it seems to be... Most... She... Okay, I'm not surprised, but... Well, it seems to be mostly on the basis of her fractious relationship with E.L. James, the author of the source material. Um, she said, yeah... I... Sam Taylor-Johnson said, I don't understand when I can't navigate a person when there's no synergy... Um, it seems like she just hasn't clicked with E.L. James and then was given sort of all these extra demands and restrictions on her own like creative freedom because in the beginning she was attracted to this sort of um, awkward love story and this you know the sort of um, the the edgier sort of subversive elements maybe of the of the the story more than the writing but in the end she's come out feeling like she made a mistake being involved in the first place and I just thought I thought she should have known better before she went in but well, I, I just thought in connection to that, I would, you know, point out to Sam Taylor-Johnson and you, Paul, what she missed out on. Because um, I've got here a, a few... I of still the... haven't seen it, I hasten to add, well, so I've I shouldn't got... really be judging. But I've got here a few of the quotes from the um, novel, the, the novelization, the sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey that Sam Taylor-Johnson passed on. So we've got things in the, uh, in the top few, like, Desire pulls dark and deadly in my groin. Uh, she could have directed that sequence. We've got. Um, there was eye contact there, listeners, by the way, when he, was, <laughs> when he said that to me. So that was. I enjoyed that. I how, how about this one? Her eyes are brown, like bourbon, but flat. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, 
desire explodes like the 4th of July throughout my body. <laughs> but um, yeah, yes, not the 4th uh, of July that leads, then. not the 4th of July that leads, uh, leads Tom Cruise in a wheelchair, presumably. No. Uh, although maybe he, yeah, that was too much. Yeah, let's not even go there. Um, yeah, needless to say, the second film had quite a lot of problems and I feel like I'm probably not alone in thinking Sam Taylor-Johnson made the right decision in the end. Yes, do you think she should have passed on the first film though? I don't know. I can understand why she signed on. I just think that it was it was always a poison chalice really. Um, not only working with the person, uh, E.R. James, who seems to be quite difficult, but also taking on something that was going to be under so much studio scrutiny yeah. because of the nature of the material. I mean, we don't live in a country that's going to produce a, a truly um, uh, sort of interesting exploration of, of that S&M type community. So I think no, it was... Certainly not through a mainstream Hollywood production. Yeah, it was a, it was a sexy hiding to nothing. Yes. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. Uh, yeah. Let's get into another section of the show, Paul. Which is popcorn movies. Um, and I'm going to start today with um, The Yakuza Papers Volume 2, Pete. So you reviewed the first one of these last time. Um, we were all waiting with bated breath for the sequel. <laughs> How have those papers been unfurled? Well, I have to say, because the last series I did like this was obviously the House series. And number two, things took a bit of a turn for the worse. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm pleased to say that with the Yakuza Papers Volume 2, which has got two titles I'm aware of, either Deadly Fight in Hiroshima or Hiroshima Deathmatch. Right. Now, so there's potentially, there's potentially more titles for it than that. So, the scene is impossible to set unless you've seen the first one, and it's almost impossible to set the scene of the first one because so many people are introduced and then die. Suffice to it's a say. Good job you're reviewing it on a film show, then, yes. isn't it? Suffice to say, uh, some of the original Yakuza characters are back. Uh, the, some of the original Yakuza families are there new families are introduced uh, a lot of people double cross each other a lot of people die the action scenes seem to have taken a, the film seems to have taken a bit of a jump up in budget the action scenes are better than they were before um, the, it's still chaotic uh, it's still blink and you'll miss it in terms of portrayals and different characters but you know what, it's still bloody awesome and I still really enjoyed part 2 I'm very hopeful that these will there will be a consistent series of films that maybe and a lot of people and a lot of people have said that this is almost like and I may have mentioned this in the last review this is like the Japanese Godfather it's starting to feel that way um, if I could remember any of the character names I'd love to share them with you would you put it on um, your number one film of all time it could well be yes yeah. it, it could well be no it's um it certainly could it certainly um it's been I watched them out of curiosity because I haven't seen I genuinely haven't seen any Japanese Yakuza films at all. And I kind of looked up and I was like, well, that's a genre I've got no experience with at all. What's a good place to start? And the, the Yakuza papers, or Battles Without Honor and Humanity, as they're also known, seem like to be a good place to start. And um, so far, so good. A lot of fun. Uh, they're very stylized. They certainly will be an acquired taste, uh, but I'm really enjoying them. So you've never seen a Yakuza film which results in the destruction of the entire universe? I don't think so. No. Oh, I've got a future homework for you, sir. Okay, excellent. I look forward to it. Uh, popcorn movie number one for me this time round um, is uh, back to one of my, my favourite genres, I guess. Uh, it's a documentary, Paul, uh, and it's called Magnus. And it, it wasn't about... the way you like these, Pete. I never <laughs> bought them up before. It's about a young man uh, by the name of Magnus Carlsen, uh, now I think in his sort of mid to late 20s, but the documentary charts his progress from about eight years old, I think, very, very young age, uh, taking an interest in the game of chess, uh, an interest which he um, pursues uh, for, it seems, the the rest of his life up to the the present day. And he has this sort of incredible rise 
through the ranks of the chess world, getting to the point where he's like 14 years old, maybe. And okay, here's a question for you. If you had to name one chess player that you've heard of, who would it be? Gary Kasparov. Right. Plays Kasparov uh, in a game of chess. I think he's about 14 years old, gets a draw. Wow, okay. okay. So he's quite good at chess then. So if you get that draw when yeah. you're in your, in your early to mid-teens, you're probably doing all right. Um, yeah, then as things go on, it's clear that Magnus Carlsen is going to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, chess player of all time. At one point, we have a sequence where he's uh, maybe in his early 20s, where he sits blindfolded with his back to a row of 10 grandmasters and has to reel off from memory the moves that he wants to make and the moves you know and memorize the moves that are being yeah. made by all 10 players sequentially and is pretty successful in this endeavor let's wow. say okay um finally as with this kind of documentary you know what would you expect some sort of climactic situation yeah. where he's going to take on a, a real adversary at the, the very height of the game does he take on a computer he no because that okay. is um uh Kasparov versus the machine uh when okay. Gary Kasparov uh, battled deep blue yeah. it's a separate documentary that you okay. can find, <laughs> find for yourself i'd also recommend uh Bobby Fischer versus the world about the uh, mental decline of Bobby Fischer who was the american chess player who rose to the top i didn't realize you were so into your chess documentaries pete I man there was... are some great chess documentaries out there if you just go looking around a little bit. well that could be my next genre after japanese yakuza films yeah a series of chess films yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah needless to say in the end we we're not disappointed by how this story turns out you get um apart from anything else magnus carson sort of um rubbing shoulders with uh, all kinds of like celebrities and stuff in the closing credits because not only is he this phenomenal like wunderkind of a chess player he also looks a bit like a young matt damon look at this picture he looks a lot like a young Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah. so he co-signed from... from Which is on our Instagram, listeners, if you are interested. Yeah, check, check it out on there. Check out the documentary if you're even vaguely interested. I just find, like, any kind of documentary that's about about someone who who is outstanding in whatever area. I don't need to be interested necessarily in the area in which they're outstanding because I just find those stories so intriguing. Have you ever played chess? I have actually. I was in a chess league. We've never played chess. I was in a chess league at school, and we've never played chess. We'll, this we'll could do that happen. For, we'll yeah. do that for a podcast. We'll do that as a we'll live. Do that we'll do that the first video podcast. That'd be thrilling for everyone at home. We'll just it? read out the moves, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, like like Magnus Carlsen had to to, to memorise. Yeah, we'll just be reading out the moves. Yes. and then maybe um, we can have like live tweet fans <laughs> criticising the moves that we're making in real time. Yes. Anyway, um, what have you got second? Uh, second from my book of movies, I've got a film called XX, or I say a film. It's a, a horror anthology. Um, and based on all our celebration of femininity last week with Wonder Woman, um, XX is a horror anthology directed by um, all women. So it's four separate short horror films directed by women. Um, look at watching the documentary afterwards, crewed as much as possible by entire female crews, um, and certainly starring women. And the films are kind of mostly about issues that affect women although there are men in them as well so there are men in the cast um i'm going to talk about the highlight rather than all four um but i will say that all four were solid um it's one of the certainly one of the better horror anthologies i've seen uh, i remember you were talking about the um lack of strength in the other entries of vhs viral um mm-hmm. i'm quite i've seen quite a few of these the abcs of death i've seen all the vhs it's films difficult though, man, thing. so it's it a difficult thing bag, to do but, right yeah. i think but this i will say that I'm, I'm only i said i'm only going to mention the one the one film out of the four but all three were solid um but the one that stood out for me um is an apologies if you're listening which probably won't be but i'm going to try your name anyway uh jovanka vakovic i think her name is directed 100 percent not listening 
No, hundred percent not listening. Uh, direct, her, she directed the first, um, the first part, which is a film called The Box. Um, nothing to do with that film with Cameron Diaz. Where nothing to do with the film with Cameron Diaz. It, nothing yeah. to do with Seven. Although strangely, I did watch Seven the following day, so I think it did have an impact on me. Uh, basically, uh, family are on the tube on the way home, and a strange man offers to show uh, the young boy what's in the box. He looks in that the box. That sounds it's, shady it's, as fuck. I don't think point. it's pen. I don't think it's his penis, but it could have been. There's, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing to say it wasn't, but I don't think it was. Um, so the boy looks in the box. He then stops eating, um, and then the whole thing to me felt very much like a loving homage. And for those of you who looked on the Instagram and didn't get my joke about it being like hashtag just, what happens next is very much like the Radiohead just video. Where, do you remember the video, Pete, where one person's lying down on the ground and he yeah. says, why are you lying down? And then yeah. they, he tells them and everyone's lying down. Mm-hmm. The film kind of follows up after that. So basically the boy stops eating and then the rest of the family stop eating. Uh, possibly directed that video. Yeah. Who, who directed Under the Skin. Is, is yeah. Um, so it, it kind of, for me, it felt like a love and homage to that. If anyone knows whether that's the case or not, it would be great to have that confirmed. It, it doesn't feel like a rip-off. It feels like a homage to it, which is quite nice. And it goes on from there. And that was probably my highlight. Um, but I would say to any fans of horror, um, try and find this XX thing if you can. It's out on DVD over here. Uh, not on Blu-ray, unfortunately, for some unknown reason, but it is out on DVD. So check out XX if you can find it. Cool. Um, my second popcorn movie for this week is uh, Woody Allen one from a few years ago. Woody Allen, as people will know, does a film a year and has done for a long time now and barely misses a year. I think missed a year maybe in the mid-80s. Uh, this one's Magic in the Moonlight from 2014. I've missed a couple of the recent films uh, from Rome with Love. I haven't seen yet, and there's I think one more. You're far more up to speed. Ca- than Cafe than Society, though. but yeah, um, I, I kind of enjoyed Irrational Man with Joaquin Phoenix and Emma Stone, and Emma Stone is in this one as well. She stars opposite Colin Firth. Um, it's set in the 1920s French Riviera and follows uh, a master magician, uh, played by Colin Firth, who dresses up as a Chinaman to perform grand illusions on stage. However, is then drafted in to try to debunk the work of a spirit medium, played by Emma Stone, because, believe it or not, this Colin Firth um, character, magician character, is obsessed with the idea that there's nothing beyond our own understanding that might exist in the in the world, right? We only have got the, the things in the external world and physical things that to live with and when we die we die and that's it and that's the end and we you know rot in the ground um so as you can imagine this is set up for sort of um laughs and and sort of um, some black comedy because of the fact that you get scenes where like colin firth's character's insistence on pragmatism is so self-defeating as to be hilarious like he's ruining his own life by sticking to the ideas that he keeps telling himself right. he definitely believes in. Um, Emma Stone is is charming as you might expect. Um, there's some great c- costumery in this thing, which sounds like damning fake praise, <laughs> but it's very much the case. And I think overall, Paul, that a lot of people are very quick to say that modern um, Woody Allen is the sort of worst stuff, and he's just like trotting out, you know, mediocre material, and the old ones are the funny ones, and so on and so forth. And you can all sound very clever saying those things, but actually, <laughs> I think that even 
mostly, I would say, mostly, Woody Allen's work over the last 10 or 15 years has been of a pretty high standard. And I think a standard that puts a lot of other filmmakers to shame. It's just because of the reputation that comes with Woody Allen that people want to find a reason to bash his films. I think there have been many more hits than misses. I think the, the problem is with, with any filmmaker that's made as many great films, and then certainly, I would say, a number of classics, um, it's quite... if the if that then becomes a touchstone for every film that you make, then ultimately some are going to be a disappointment if you are comparing them to the, the classics that he's made. Is, yeah, is that, I just, that, I just find... Does that sound fair? Yeah, it does. I just find myself coming back to this thing that I've said a couple of times on recent shows, like, what did you expect? Because this has come up in a number of our conversations, not you personally, but I mean people in general, right? We know that Woody Allen is now, what, like 80 years old. Yeah. We know that he's going to put out a film a year. So, you know, try telling him not to do that. That's going to be the way... That, that's the way he works. It's his process, right? And so you are privileged to be getting this output on this kind of basis and as far as I'm concerned I hope Woody Allen lives to 100 years of age and puts out a film every year like even when they're not the best they are good they're, they make me laugh there'll be like one or two lines in there that just hit really hard and yeah I enjoyed Magic in the Moonlight and I think people should just don't don't give up on the guy uh, you know don't give up on the guy if you have even a passing interest don't don't sit there going like oh I only like Manhattan and Annie Hall like come on like, he's still working you know you, you don't sound any cleverer um, Paul, I think you did some homework, didn't you? Is that an indication that you haven't done your homework? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm protesting okay, too we'll, much. Yeah, we'll move on from that this time. I give you, I give you a pass. Yeah, can I can I explain very briefly that I haven't done my homework because I have ordered the film in question and it has not yet arrived. So I will be doing um, an aftermath review, which was the film that I was set by Paul. But I am I'm very sorry. It amuses me that you have to wait longer to watch it now as well, which is yeah, yeah, to, <laughs> yeah. Oof, brace yourself. Um, yes, and I look forward to the aftermath of you viewing it indeed yes anyway so I have done my homework which was Pete what was my homework it, it was, was uh, the Todd Salon's film Welcome to the Dollhouse it is very good and if you disagree you are wrong is it his first film uh, maybe his first feature yeah okay. keep talking and I'll find um, out so yeah Welcome to the Dollhouse Todd Solon's is a man who's I think I said last week when I I think my last homework was also Todd Solon so I'll try not to repeat what I said last week a director that I wasn't too familiar with but have liked what I've seen of his um, and Pete, you are correct. Welcome to the Dollhouse was rather good indeed. Mm. Um, a little bit different to, for me, to some of his other work. Um, his second feature, sorry second to interrupt. Feature, yeah. okay. uh, Fear, Anxiety and Depression. Right, Funnily okay. enough, not a film I've seen, but <laughs> so on the nose as to be hilarious, yes. is his first feature. Um, yeah, and not, not as much like some of his other films as I thought it would be, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, if anything, it was, although there was, it, you know, undoubtedly you know the black comedy's there in this and undoubtedly it is once again about a character not having the best of time shall we say and there are some there are some slightly more harrowing moments in it but I thought it was slightly lighter in tone than some of his other work and that was kind of a good thing really and I did read somewhere and I'm not going to take credit for this but I would agree with the person who did say that this film could potentially be one of the blueprints from Napoleon Dynamite I don't know if you yeah, and a you... vastly superior film, I think. Yeah, it? so certainly, yeah, certainly. But um, no, Welcome to the Dollhouse, um, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed. Yeah, and I mean, gaps-wise, is there anything else that you're aware of that you want to see of his? I think it's probably the some of the latest stuff now, I think. Because you saw and reviewed Dark Horse recently, yeah, right? Yeah, I've seen Happiness, that. Storytelling... Uh, it's the latest stuff I think probably Palindromes onwards I haven't seen Palindromes 2004 and then we've got uh, Wiener Dog that I reviewed yeah. not, not too long ago um, and Life During Wartime which is also quite good so oh, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a few things to see but there I think but I, no I will be making, like making an effort making an effort to catch up with more of his work so um, 
Yes, it was uh, it was good. It was the best awkward schoolgirl film I've seen all yeah. week. Yeah, and can we just agree that what happens to um, I think I mentioned this on the last show, but like what happens to Heather Matarazzo, the lead in <laughs> the Dollhouse, yes. in Hostel Part Two, is something for which I will never forgive Eli Roth. No, and I think that's fair to be honest. I, I wasn't aware of the link until you explained it to me. And yes, so talking about things, no, I was going to say talking about things for which you could never be forgiven. Let's talk about the mummy, but we've got to get to coming attractions. No, we're, first. we're teasing people with what we think of the mummy. Um, we'll get through coming attractions um, pretty quickly, I think, because we do want to get into it on the mummy. So uh, my first coming, well, my coming attraction this week is the next Sofia Coppola film, uh, The Beguiled, with Nicole Kidman. Colin Farrell, Kirsten Dunst, amongst others. Um, you're not a fan of Sophia Coppola, are you, Pete, particularly? I'm not really. Um, I I think uh, Lost in Translation is, is fine. I think that its depiction of Japan is fairly glib and um, at times kind of skirting the borders of being a little bit xenophobic. Um, I think that The Bling Ring is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Um, I I have not yet seen The Virgin Suicides, which I know is, which is, is very a good, glaring omission yeah. because I, a lot of people sort of say it's her, her best work. But I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm sort of wildly against her work. I just don't find it particularly compelling. No, I but. think I, I like her work enough. I, I do. I really like Lost in Translation. I did really enjoy The Virgin Suicides. I haven't seen The Bling Ring. Um, I haven't really seen much after Lost in Translation, in fairness. But I am intrigued by this because the, the premise looks like Colin Farrell is potentially coming... Well, it's definitely coming to a house of women who seem initially to be somewhat enamoured with him and then it looks like they start to torture him and um, are generally unpleasant to him. Yeah, um, it looks a bit like um, misery or something yeah. like that. Um, so it'd be, for me, it would be interesting to see Sofia Coppola touching her toes into the world of horror, um, which is what it kind of looks like it might be. But there, there is a level of intrigue in the trailer that's absent in a lot of trailers, so I respect that and I'm quite looking forward to watching it. So what was your... Uh, your coming attraction, Pete. I have got, um, I, yeah, with some amount of trepidation, uh, the Book of Henry, which is the Colin Trevorrow follow-up from uh, direction point of view to Jurassic World. Uh, this is the director who directed. Um, tell me again. Safety not guaranteed. Thank you. Safety not guaranteed, which I thought was fine, and then suddenly I agree. I thought it was fine. Was yes. given Jurassic World. Uh, Jurassic World, I think, has its merits. It didn't blow me away by any means, and I think you can go back to that review uh, to, to hear our views on, on that. Uh, this is uh, the film, The Book of Henry, is an adaptation of a Greg Hurwitz novel. Um, it stars Naomi Watts, uh, Jaden Lieberher, I believe is his name, the guy who was, or the kid, was a little kid in uh, Midnight Special with the okay, glowing yeah. eyes. Yeah. Uh, little Trembley Jacob. Jacob Tremblay, the, the boy from The Room, uh, The Room, Room. I should say. Not the room, no. Uh, yeah, very much not the room. Uh, also, the comedian Sarah Silverman's in this. Uh, she's been in some interesting things recently, so I'm uh, interested to see what she contributes. Um, yeah, to, the plot seems to be a single mother discovers a scheme in her son's book to rescue a young girl from the hands of her abusive stepfather and sets out to execute the plan at any cost. Now, if you have this could name, go either way, I think. Yeah, and it, I mean, the Trevorrow thing is, is one issue. Nemi Watts is an actress who has been in the, everything from the sort of sublime uh, Mulholland Drive to the ridiculous, the biopic of Diana. I was going to say Diana, uh, yeah. To, you know, even with Jacob Tremblay recently, that horror movie Shut In, which I'm yet to catch up with, but it's been absolutely panned criti critically. I think it's on something like a 20% on, on Metacritic around okay. there. So... Who knows? I mean, I'm glad to see Jacob Tremblay getting some more work after he was so fantastic in, in Room. Uh, 
we'll wait and see i guess this has got a release uh, i think july um yeah i mean i like this kind of anticipation because i like going in with you know everything to play for with this kind of yes. film and you know you, you i'm going to reserve judgment until we see it for ourselves and then we'll come back with a full review on the show yes talking of going in with everything to play for and reserving judgment until we see it ourselves um this brings us to our feature review this week which is um alex kurtzman uh who i think was probably directed by tom cruise whilst directing the mummy <laughs> yeah. Um, Pete, do you want to set the scene for the mummy? This is maybe yes. Okay, uh, I can give you a synopsis that I'm not definitely not reading off my computer. <laughs> uh, Though safely entombed in a crypt deep beneath the unforgiving desert, an ancient queen whose destiny was unjustly taken from her is awakened in our current day, bringing with her malevolence grown over millennia and terrors that defy human comprehension. Uh, to put that into regular people speak, um, <laughs> it turns out Sophia Bartella is uh, the mummy and she is, yes, awoken when some adventurers played by Jake Johnson and Tom Cruise go a galloping around in modern day Iraq, uh, turns out, and uh, disturb the tomb of the mummy. The mummy is then transported back um, to modern day London um, and all all hell breaks loose, I guess. I think would be so, the, yeah. yeah. You know, the way that you'd sell this as the studio. Um, yeah, we went into this, obviously, seeing that Tom Cruise, massive action star, we're promised a load of action. We've also got the opening up of this dark universe of monsters and ghoulies that are going to be rolled out over the next sort of so this, five which, years. And the dark right? universe entails all of Universal's classic monster franchises. I was under the impression that Dracula Untold was supposed to be the first one of these, but then bombed, but so not. they kind of have disowned it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that was also rubbish. And it's um, <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein, we're yes. getting. Um, uh, we're getting The Invisible Man, I think, played with by Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. I think on the basis of an Easter egg in The Mummy, they look to be the hand of the Swamp Thing. Yeah. Um, I think Bride of Frankenstein is Javier Bardem. In, in that one okay. as well uh, so they've signed some, some big names to this um, obviously the the spiel that we're getting anyway from the studio side is that those big actors from Cruise to uh, another big actor who turns up in this film that maybe I won't spoil for now to Javier Bardem to Johnny Depp they've all universally signed on not because of the massive checks that they might be taking for these films universally signed on I like it Pete. right but even though you've done it but because of the <laughs> fact that they um, love the monster movies uh, universal monster movies from their own childhoods and they have such a, a sort of passion for those projects that they want to get involved out of the sort of um, yeah the fanboy nature of that relationship now Paul getting into this a little bit firstly just like impression level did this film work for you on, on any level I mean no, no. And, and for why um, my as much as I, I went in with an open mind and I promise you I did I thought I didn't expect this to be fantastic I thought we might get like a three star half decent I went to see it on IMAX I thought at least this would be fun at least this will have some energy about it it's got Tom Cruise in it it might be fun my initial concern and unfortunately this came true is the original films the original monster films were about the monsters mm. and the film called The Mummy was about the mummy now my original concern by casting Tom Cruise in a film about the mummy is it would become a film about Tom Cruise and the mummy would come, become a bit player in the storyline and oh what a bloody surprise this just becomes a film about Tom Cruise and 
the mummy's barely in it and the, when the mummy is in it i will just hasten to add this this is the, probably the one positive i can say about this is sophia Batello i thought was very good with what little screen time she had mm. um but it, it just felt to me like a a tom cruise vehicle that was neither particularly funny scary or exciting yeah i mean so let's go there next um to maybe inject positives because you were saying that the performance of the mummy played by Sofia Patella is maybe the high point of this thing, right? Maybe. It might be yeah. the, the one positive or one yeah. of the, the positive takeaways from it. Sofia Patella, of course, is like a, a street dancer. She was in... I recognised her in Kingsman, but yes. the reason I recognised her in Kingsman is because I'd seen Street Dance 2. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not too cool for that. Or maybe I'm just about cool enough yeah. for that. Uh, check it out, you guys, if you're, if you're getting into uh, Sofia Patella late in the party. But... um. Like the way that she moves, the way that she controls herself physically, you can see that maybe that background, the influence of coming from the world of dance. And that only does credit to sort of the portrayal of that character. But as you said, Paul, as you touched on, it's such a shame then that so often we get clipped sequences in which the mummy gets to do slow motion walking, um, crouching. And, and very little in terms of kinetic action that we want to see from that character, right? And yeah, so, and, but so Vipa Teller's doing what she can do, but she just doesn't have and, and the, she, the she doesn't have, She doesn't have the freedom. She doesn't have the screen time to do it. And even even Tom Cruise seems bored in this. Like I, 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 I went from not liking him to liking him to not liking him to actually coming around to the fact that actually I do quite enjoy him on screen. He is a presence and, you know, he can, he can give a good performance in a leading role. But for me, even he seemed bored in this. I, I don't think he really knew what he was doing here. T- to be honest, I'm, I'm trying not to sort of gush with rage, as you can probably tell. I hated this film. I, I genuinely hated it. Um, I just, for me, the only, the thing, the closest comparison to me is not the original Mummy films of old. It's not even the Brendan Fraser Mummy. Van Helsing is what this reminded me of. Mm. Like just random bits where Tom Cruise ends up as a CGI beastie at the end, and there's just CGI bits of CGI being thrown around off the wall. It might, at some point, at one point in the IMAX, I took my 3D glasses off and started counting the speakers on the ceiling. Right. <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely not a ringing. No, I'm trying. I'm trying to be constructive, but I'm struggling. So yeah, we'll be back in. I mean. The thing is, as well, with, with Tom Cruise, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but I think you're fairly with me on the fact that, that Tom Cruise is an asset to the film world, by and large, right? Yes. This is a guy who's made so many beloved films, and even his recent output, I get excited to see the latest iteration of the Mission Impossible series, for example, because you know the stunt work is going to be unparalleled. Because you know, you know, you know it might not be great, but you're going to know you're going to be entertained. And yeah. that's what I thought with this. Maybe at least I'll be entertained but, a little bit. But, but I think you, I think you're right. I mean... That compulsion that Tom Cruise has always to push the envelope in terms of the action just gets bogged down in this quagmire of like, that's not the movie exactly that. Like, no, it's like it's like not everybody involved is making the same movie. They're not. It's it's. You're absolutely right. It has no idea of what it's trying to be. At parts, it's trying to be funny. It fails. At parts, it's trying to be scary. There's one scene that I think is quite good when the mummy first appears. You're like, oh, this kind of this could be cool. And then at parts it's trying to be, as you said, like it literally feels like it could be a scene from Mission Impossible. Yeah, I mean, take, take for work. example, and, and this has been in the trailer, so so we can talk about it, but um, the bit with uh, Zero G that they did in the Vomit Comet, and I've heard him talk in an interview with Annabelle Wallace, his female co-star, about uh, the fact that they've paraded around the fact that they did this, I think, 64 times. They took 64 takes. So right, okay. this is where they do the sort of parabola and, and drop, yeah. and there's zero gravity in, an, in like an aircraft. It's a great sequence, 
But what's it doing in this film? It, this film, it ultimately, and if, if this is where they're going to go with it, if they're just going to turn classic horror films into, quite frankly, shit action films, I'm out. And I, just, I don't understand why they would turn a horror film into this. But like, you see, the problem as well is here, if you took that out, if you took out that plane sequence, if you took out, I don't know, some of the, the chase bit in the ambulance, if you took out some of the action stuff, you're left with... With a, Van Helsing again. And a very, <laughs> very poor film. Like, I mean, this was extremely bad. But for me, some of the kind of um, light relief in the film were just seeing, oh, Tom Cruise is having fun doing some stunt work, right? It doesn't fit in the film, but man, this is limited material without that stuff, surely. I mean, we had an introduction... It's limited of a, material with that stuff. Right, no, absolutely it is, but that's what I mean. Take that away and you've got even less. I mean, we had the introduction here of another fairly important character to the, the Dark Universe, right? And that revealed to me felt, it felt so anticlimactic. Yeah, the way that it was presented and the way that, the, that you feel like that character is going to be the hub from which we can spring these sort of other worlds because of the nature I of... I literally facepalmed in cinema at that moment. My, my hand physically hit my forehead and it was a reflex reaction when I realised that who... Well, it's, it's not who Russell Crowe is. Russell Crowe is in the trailer. So when you realise who Russell Crowe is, he's introduced in such a terrible way and then, shall we say, another side of his character is introduced in an even worse way. Yeah, and I mean... You may be able to work out who I mean, it is, but apologies. What apologies, we were saying but... about, you know, Tom Cruise vehicles of late is that, or, or, for the majority of his career, is that whether you like them or not, they are big news. Yeah. They are big releases. They are big blockbusters. To me, this felt small. This felt small, man. Even, this felt like it could have been straight to video release. Yeah, it was e that bad. Even for all of the, the money that occasionally is thrown onto the screen, it, it seemed minor and it seemed confused and muddled and slightly underwritten and then at points overwritten. I think the performances are inconsistent. Annabelle Wallace does her best, but she looks completely lost in this film too. There's clearly very little chemistry between the, the two of them in the way that maybe they imagined there might be chemistry. I think Tom Cruise in his mind has chemistry with every woman. But it's also that with. weird 55-year-old, 25-year-old, 55 year old man 25 year old woman relationship again that pervades seems to pervade in every Hollywood film on a week, the on a week when I review a yes. Woody Allen film by the yes. way yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a burgeoning relationship yes. between yes. Uh, Emma Stone and Colin Firth <laughs> in that one but not up there with maybe my favourite which is when uh, Woody Allen casts himself in Everybody Says I Love You and uh, kisses Julia Roberts Yes, um, way earlier in her career but um, anyway I digress yeah <sighs> what to say I mean Jake Johnson as well someone that we reviewed and what the fuck was that all about that whole like American weird American werewolf riff where he comes back as he basically I'm just going to spoil this bit he comes back as a zombie that tries to help Tom Cruise out and it is literally just painfully like oh well done you've seen American Werewolf great but what relevance has this got again now and you know in, in place of scenes where we have the mummy we have loads of crappy zombie scenes that have been pulled from other things um, yeah, I, I just straight up did I not mean, like this at all. We reviewed Win It All with Jake Johnson recently, where he's you know got some dramatic clout, and then yes. like his sort of clownish character. Like I've heard, heard other people say that they enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy that at all. I felt it was kind of demeaning the whole thing, the whole exercise of it demeaning. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know who comes out of this with any credit. I mean, Tom Cruise will come out of it fairly unscathed because he's got that much cachet as a film star, and he's obviously making a, or has made American Made, which actually looks quite good, yep. and is on the horizon. He's also uh, working on the the reboot, reimagining whatever of Top Gun. Well, Alex Kurtzman's director gets no kudos at all, but then he did co-write Transformers. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah. So, I mean. The Mummy, I think, uh, in conclusion, I sort of felt like that we get all these sequences in The Mummy where 
uh, a character sort of sucks the life out of someone directly through their mouth and I felt like the life was sucked out of me sort of through my eyes I, as I was watching this I straight up despise this film there's no I'm not even gonna and also I'm calling out the Empire and Total Film Reviewers who could sit there and honestly take money as paid film critics to give this film three stars so yeah Metascore for what it's worth Metascore at the moment is 34% Good. which seems a little bit generous I think it's far too generous but, um, yeah. but yeah you know three out of five guys come on do better at your jobs um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, Matt. Maybe we'll do a list sometime soon with this, but I struggle to think of a worse major release blockbuster in a while. Like, maybe we're looking I'd at Pirates of the Caribbean films or Transformers films, possibly something Possibly there. since Transformers. I would say I haven't seen a worse Hollywood release since I watched Transformers 4. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that bad, you guys. Um, I mean, there are people who would disagree. Uh, we're welcome to hear an argument in defence of The Mummy, but you're going to have to try quite hard because this was bad. Yes. Like, seriously, you know, feeling quite probably, angry I'd about it. I'd say it bad. could well be the worst film I've seen so far this year. Um, so, which brings us to homework. Let's try and bring the mood back up just before we finish um, and leave our listeners on a slightly more positive note. We are going to link the homework to The Mummy. Um, and Pete this week as well as Aftermath which you still got to watch I'm going to set you a very positive and fun filled monster film um, that is one of my childhood favourite films which I think I may have mentioned on an episode a long time ago uh, a film called Monster Squad I believe directed by Fred Decker which is very much in the vein of the Goonies um, and I actually uh, this is this is going to be controversial I actually enjoy, enjoy it more than I enjoy the Goonies uh, basically a group of kids have a monster club and... I don't like the Goonies that much okay you, you should prefer Monster Squad <laughs> um, and basically a group of kids have the monster club and then monsters appear including the mummy and cause all kinds of chaos and it's a lot of 80s fun and I hope you enjoy it Pete what have you got for me so for you man like ah uh... I've probably held back a bit on our review of The Mummy with, you know, just how mad, uh, you know, and upset I was with that whole just dreadful experience. But I thought... How, I didn't, I don't think, but... <laughs> how, how can I spring out of that with anything positive for this section of the show? So I'm going to set... Uh, it's a tenuous-ish link, but Mother. You see what I've done? Because, like, The Mummy... Yeah, Mother. mother yeah, I like it. Thing, I like right? it. And this is a film Please I've been yeah. meaning to watch for a long, long time. So, so this is a film by... Uh, South Korean film director Bong Joon-ho that um, eagle-eared listeners will know as the director of Snowpiercer that we really liked uh, from a year or two back. And the upcoming Okja as well. Okja, which is streaming very shortly and we'll have a full review of that too. Um, yeah, it also stars the... F no, I was going to talk about something completely different. I got my, <laughs> my wires crossed. Yeah, Mother is a film about... Um, uh, woman in South Korea who is willing to defend her son at almost any cost even though her son has uh, some limitations um, and maybe has done terrible terrible things um, it is in my opinion possibly the best work of one Bong Joon-ho so um, I have a real excitement about you know you seeing it for the first time colour me excited Peter yeah I cannot stand <laughs> that phrase um, that's right up there with the mummy as things that I do not enjoy <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's Mother for Paul and for me, Monster Squad. Monster Squad. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get back in two weeks' time. In two weeks' time. In the meantime, in the meantime, uh, be sure to check us out on social media, Strangers in Cinema on Instagram, 
Facebook at Stranger Cinema Twitter um, and that's it for us for a couple of weeks so we'll hear yeah, from when, you then when we're back we'll have um, reviews of, of well probably Gifted which is out uh, in the coming week I think Auction might be just after that but yeah we'll have a lot of stuff in the offing for two yeah. weeks time because we've got that little extra gap and I'll be um, you know sort of full of excitement at the fact that I've uh, had a break so um, yeah until next time it's goodbye from me I guess and goodbye from me Paul <laughs>